When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, the way of Jesus, our focus this morning, is to love God with our whole being for the sake of ourselves and for the whole world. We're given the task in this great commandment to bring all of our being into the service of wholeness. My family and I spent three years before moving uh, to Mountain Home, not far from here, <clears throat> in Hawaii. Has anyone ever been to Hawaii? It's, uh, it's paradise. Truly it is. Uh, we learned a lot there, how to surf, how to snorkel, how to enjoy the beach. Uh, and I'm originally from the Midwest, so that's not natural, you know, for us. But we figured it out. Um, uh, it's also the place where I was ordained uh, a pastor in the uh, Christian Church Disciples of Christ, which is my denomination, my tradition. And because we were out there and I was learning and, and uh, in this phase, the season of life of um, becoming ordained, uh, I got to work with a lot of leaders from a lot of different cultures and traditions on the island. Um, and one such leader was Father Kaleo. He was instrumental uh, in that time. So this was, shoot, 2023 now. So this was 2017 through 2021, give or take. Um, and so COVID, this was the COVID years. Um, and Kaleo was instrumental in feeding the folks in his neighborhoods. Uh, like many food pantries, he had to figure out how to deliver food to folks uh, in the distancing requirements. They couldn't uh, invite people into their building to give them the food, so they had to figure it out, um, like all food pantries had to. Um, and it didn't just serve the, the Hawaiians in the neighborhood. There were people that came from all over the island, immigrants from Samoa, from Micronesia, from the Philippines. Um, and every drive through pantry began with a... Uh, blowing of the conch shell. Have you ever seen this? It's a spirally ocean shell, and you, you blow it with your lips. It sounds a little bit like a French horn, or give or take, uh, or baritone, or something like that. Uh, but it's a sacred ceremonial act. And when they do this, at least in the, the, what I have seen, they do it in each of the four cardinal directions, north, uh, east, south, and west, to invoke God's blessing. It's a and they did this before every food pantry drive through So hundreds and hundreds of people, cars waiting, and then they stand up and they blow the conch shell. It's a beautifully, uh, spiritually rich uh, way to begin feeding, each other, feeding people and serving each other. Uh, and Father Kalea was also, so that's the picture on the far left, though, if you are looking at it like this. Um, and then uh, in the middle there, you see uh, these, this is a makahiki ceremony where uh, Kaleo would go into the prisons. He was uh, giving them, uh, as they would exit the prisons, he would help them with their basic 
needs, food, clothing, uh, toiletries, that kind of thing. But before they would go, he would offer them these classes in indigenous culture and Hawaiian language and ceremonies. And then they would do this makahiki ceremony together. It was about healing and newness. Um, and it really provided a way for folks to engage in their culture and their background in a way that they maybe didn't have a chance to before. So Father Kaleo, I start with this man, this story, because I think he's a, a leader who embodies Jesus' instruction to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, love your neighbor as yourself, not to mention Jesus' teaching to do uh, for the least of these, to feed, to clothe, Matthew 25, 40, to visit in prison. I mean, Kaleo was literally following that every day of his life. Um, each of these things you do, you do for me, Jesus said. And Father Kaleo did this way and did all of this in a way that honors the deep and dynamic, uh, diverse identities of those he serves. He brought elements of Hawaiian spirituality into the same space uh, you see on the far right as Christian ministry. So he would perform these ceremonies while he gave communion. It was quite beautiful and, and interesting to, to see. And in so doing, he provided healing and openness to community and God's love for many who just wouldn't have otherwise experienced it like that. They might have been suffering alone. Um, and the way he lived out this greatest commandment is an excellent example of what I want to present to you this morning, which is a lens through which we can see the greatest commandments. A lens is simply uh, an idea or a principle through which uh, you look and interpret something, in this case, the greatest commandment. Some lenses you grow up with, you know, everybody here grow up Methodist? Probably not, probably not, that's okay, that's the point. You grew up some way, and that's how you look at the scripture, um, or ideas in general. And others, lenses we develop, like we're sitting here in this church, we're developing lenses to look at the scripture, and I'm gonna offer one to you today. The, the lens I'm gonna offer you is we're calling braided identities. And I think it's especially helpful to unpack the ways we love God with our heart, soul, and our mind. But before we do that, I want to give you a why. Are you familiar with this start with why phenomenon that has gone on and on and on and on? Well, you're not. Well, Simon Sinek, he, he loves the Air Force and we love him. So anyway, he get, we always start with the why. We're talking about why. Why is this helpful to talk about the greatest commandment? And uh, it's pretty simple, I think, but maybe not what we go to first. Why do you think? Why do you think it's important, helpful, right to follow the greatest commandments, these dual love commandments that Jesus gives us? Jesus' call to love God with our heart, soul, and mind comes from the Hebrew Bible, right? It comes from the Jewish tradition. And often uh, we get these ideas from Deuteronomy. One such place is Deuteronomy 10, which is right there. Uh, it calls us to walk in all God's ways, to love God with our heart and our soul. Sound familiar? But why? Why? For our own well-being. The text says you're doing this for our own well-being, not to please God. Okay? The call to follow God, to follow God with all of our human existence for the sake of our holistic health, whole body, whole world flourishing, is another way uh, to seek and to pursue shalom, to uh, maybe 
be, embody God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We're not following rules, the 635 commandments of the Old Testament or whatever. It's simply say on the right side of a cosmic sin ledger. But because the way of love is better for us, for our bodies, for our spirits, for the world. The author and professor Dwayne Bidwell writes this. Our spirits have genealogy and geology. The resources of our past traditions provide structure, support, often sustenance for our spirituality throughout life. Religious and spiritual identities often exist within us like layers of rock resting on top of one another. And part of Jesus' command to love God with all of our being means becoming aware of these layers, these things that are supporting us. Maybe some of them are not. Maybe some excavation would be helpful in some cases. Um, But honoring that which has come before, that is which within us and helps us flourish, that leads to wholeness. Now, as we grow and commit ourselves to the, the way of Christ, this process, this commitment, I think, is much longer than the space of a single prayer. We carry in us the memory of what was good and true, and, and from our earlier spiritual cultural experiences. Uh, everybody grow up in Boise? No, no, I sure didn't. Cornfields. It's okay if you did, you know. It's okay, but you're probably going to experience something else, maybe in your neighbors, maybe uh, down the road, maybe at school, all of these places we experience new things. And as these experiences, um, some of them holy and sacred and some of them difficult, uh, accumulate in our lives, uh, we, uh, we gain what Bidwell calls braided identities. Okay, and, and part of this is considering that we exist in a spiritually fluid world with a lot of shared wisdom. Uh, Somebody came up to me and suggested they come from the Moravian tradition, right? There's so many, there's all this shared wisdom that has accumulated in our lives, in our churches, in our practices, in ourselves. So today, I'm gonna present a few braids of identity to you. I believe that are present in all of us in one way or another and each in our unique ways. These three main braids are those of the individual, the story, and of theology, kind of a a trio of trios, or a a French braid identity. And my 11-year-old daughter can testify, though, that my braiding skills are still at a novice level. So if I got that wrong, I'm just sort of like, I I didn't Google image that one, but I think it's right, like a three and three and three, and it came together. Anyway, so first we're going to consider our individual braids, our whole selves, you, right there as you are, right here in your seat, being supported by your seat and the floor in this wonderful building. And you cannot be easily divided into parts, body, mind, and spirit, but you exist as a complex and interrelated organism. In Jesus' commandment, this part, okay, the the self, the person that is there, I think the word soul is closest. When he says the word soul, it's closest to what we mean by our individual braid. In Greek, the word is psuche. It's like the word for psychological, psyche. Uh, that's translated into soul. And in Hebrew, there's this word called the nephesh, and it's, and it's both soul and life. It, it's not only, uh, you know, something that is metaphysical, but it is also physical. It's both and. And there's no easy way 
to draw a duality in ourselves, spirit, flesh, etc., that doesn't happen as easily as some traditions might suggest. Um, so we have to take care to include all of ourselves, all of you, in following this great commandment. In other words, we have to take seriously in, we have to take seriously loving our whole self and bringing all of our being with us in the act of loving God and neighbor. For many years, uh, the knowledge of brain scans and our brains has been developing. Are you, have you like, followed, followed any of this? It's, it's really cool stuff. Um, it's been showing that things like meditation, prayer, and other spiritual exercises have a protective effect against things like depression and anxiety. Because, now they know kind of why, because it thickens the prefrontal cortex, which I can't really point to. I'm not a doctor, but it's probably in the front, right? Um, and this is where uh, higher order reasoning comes into awareness, concentration, decision making. And at the same time, the amygdala, which I think is somewhere down deep in the brain, it's like, I don't want to get too far into it because I'm not an expert, but it's where the fight or flight comes from. It's that section of the brain that has our primal response. So this suggests that the regular practice of spiritual exercises, meditation, prayer, uh, mindful reading, um, these sorts of things increase our thoughtful, our deliberative reactions to stress, and it decreases our primal or lower order uh, reactions to stress. To love God with all of who you are is to appreciate the deep and mostly unconscious connections within our physical and mental and spiritual self. To bring them all with you as you pray and to know that you're doing what is right, you know, even if you don't quite know it at the time. There's this poem by Joy Harjo. It says it, says it in a way that I could not. To pray, you open your whole self to sky, to earth, to sun, to moon, to one whole voice that is you, and know that there is more that you can't see, can't hear, can't know, except in moments steadily growing and in languages that aren't always sound, but other circles of motion, like eagle on Sunday morning, she writes. As individuals, this means we approach God not with shame or judgment, but with, as the esteemed theologian Ted Lasso, anybody Ted Lasso fans? It says, be, be curious, not judgmental. As the church, we approach other individuals in the same way, with curiosity and not judgment, loving them as we love ourselves because the love of God cannot be separated from the love of neighbor. We are, all after, we are after all, not only interrelated uh, as individuals, uh, but as communities and communities of communities in our earthly home and in very real ways to the whole universe of possibility. And so we move to our next braid, which is the braid of story. I was in a, a church not too far from here, but far enough away um, that I don't think you'll know them, um, not long ago. And I was preaching, and I used words like the biblical story and the story of creation over and over again. And I remember the congregation came up to me after. This actually happened in two consecutive services that I was there. And it's like they forgot that it was me talking. But they were convinced that uh, I had to use the word story less. They were convinced that it cheapened scripture. 
that I use instead the word account when I talk about something like the biblical account of creation and so forth. And I tried to be pastoral in my response. You know, the right answer usually is not, sir, you're wrong, please stop talking to me. That, <laughs> right, I didn't do that. But it's difficult because I think this is really important for the church, for our for us to, to consider and grapple with and is really part of one of the main divides in our uh, religious worlds, not just Christianity, but all main religions divide in this way. Uh, and the divide is that it's not the historical and literal truth that provides the power to the witness of scripture, but, but the surplus of meaning that's carried in it, in its metaphor, in its myth, and its storytelling. Marcus Borg wrote that while myths are not literally true, they are nevertheless profoundly true. Myth is story. This is our braid right now. Story filled with metaphor that tells us about the relation between this world and the sacred. Others have observed that myth is a form of poetry that transcends poetry in that it proclaims truth. Now, you see on the screen, okay, some words there, but basically you see the shape of an egg. Everybody see, it's not Easter time. We had a, we had a uh, what was it, uh, some sort of a scavenger hunt, and every one of the kids thought it was an egg hunt. It was like, it's not Easter, kids. I want you to look for things in nature, but they couldn't get it out of their head. So this is an egg. Uh, Richard Rohr calls it the cosmic egg. It includes my story down in the center, the lowest dome, uh, our story in the middle, and the story on the outside, each re representing vital elements of our spiritual development and the way we make sense of the world. In life, just think about it for a second, you first long to proclaim this is me. Emerson's downstairs, right? Not Emerson, is that his name? Yeah. He's downstairs and he's trying to figure out, this is me, yeah? And we all kind of start there. And soon enough, we start saying, this is us, you know, our family, our gender, our ethnicity, our occupation, whatever group we find the most meaning and belonging in. And the story, that's the outermost egg, part dome, represents what is true everywhere and always. And the point here is you can't mistake my story or our story for the story. But each layer is important for healthy spirituality, for transforming ourselves in the world into God's kingdom within us and among us. Jesus' commandments of love uh, is that... When thinking about Jesus' commandments of love, it's, it's important that each sphere is important to God. It's that we bring it all with us. And that it's all vital for mature human spirituality. It's, I hope that's what, part of what we're about. Yes, yes, ministry. Yes, yes, all of these things. But, but bringing all of ourselves into a mature practice of our faith. Anything less has been called spiritual bypassing. That was a new term for me, uh, but it's from the 80s. And it simply means the tendency to use spiritual ideas and practices to sidestep or avoid facing unresolved emotional issues, psychological wounds, and unfinished developmental tasks. Richard Ward describes it slightly differently 
jumping to spiritual answers or theology without any honest self-knowledge or knowledge of history. Now, this has huge implications for ourselves as we develop as individuals, but I want to say briefly, um, remember what I said at the beginning, you know, my opinions, my opinions. Um, but equating the modern state of Israel with the Jewish people of Scripture, with whether it's the contemporaries of Jesus or the subjects of King David, this is an example of spiritual bypassing. Because story is so incredibly important and we have to be honest with the whole story. We can't skip hundreds of years when we make meaning out of it. We have to be honest about our past failures where we do and where we do not have access to the facts. This is how we honor God, uh, by loving with all of the story, all of our story, all of our story and neighbor. Now, I want to turn to the final braid of uh, theology, we're calling it, or how we understand God. Since 2005, every two or three years, Baylor universities released uh, surveys of religion in America. And in 2010, they looked at how belief in God as well as church attendance and other socioeconomic factors related to mental health struggles like anxiety disorders and depression. They found that while there is a correlation between things like prayer and church attendance and other practices uh, with, with mental health struggles, there's a stronger correlation, a stronger correlation with the views, the picture, the way people understand God. And the chart on the screen uh, has two axes. Oh, okay, this one is the engagement of God how engaged God is in the world. And this axis, the horizontal axis, is how judgmental or angry God is. And this creates four quadrants or four uh, gods, what Baylor, the study called America's Four Gods, the authoritarian God, which is uh, very engaged but very angry. Uh, the critical God, okay, less engaged, still very angry. The distant God, not very angry, not engaged. And the benevolent God, this is the very engaged and not very angry, maybe we would call loving God. And they found that those who be believed in the benevolent God, that's the, the top right-hand quadrant, had 30% fewer mental health struggles. 30% fewer cases of depression and anxiety. So what I'm calling this theological braid of our identity, our view of God, impacts more than just how we worship and the songs we sing and, and what authors we read and all that. It's a predictive factor for our mental health, for uh, whether or not our faith can withstand the trials of life. Uh, maybe you're here in this space today because what you grew up, some of that structure, geology and genealogy did not support what your experience in life was, right? So we adopt, we seek a picture of God that works with our experience in life. That's important. So I want to suggest that God also this morning, you see this quote about uh, only the relational is rational. I want to suggest, just real, this is kind of heavy stuff, so if it's for you, great. If not, let it go. Uh, 
that a God who is not actively engaged in the world, okay, a distant, unaffected God, or a, a God that doesn't have any sort of agency in the, in the way things work, okay, that kind of God is not rational. Maybe, maybe nonsensical. I was looking out for something. Don't throw it in. Okay. Because some people need to lean on the fact that God isn't active in the world to explain the, 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 the problems. And I hear that. That's a coping mechanism, right? But I don't think in the end, I don't think pastorally in the end that that makes a lot of sense. Okay? And philosophically it doesn't because we also believe that God somehow created the world. In order to create the world, you have to be involved in the world. And unless we believe God somehow just fundamentally changed somewhere in that creation, God is still involved in the world. So anyway, that's kind of heavy, but the, um, the point is that um, believing in this God that is with us, with you and your trials, can increase your own resiliency, your own mental health, and it just, to me, it makes sense. I'll just offer that. And maybe this benevolent God, this engaged and loving God, is what our communities need. It's what our world needs. So taking these braids together as a rough outline for the way of Jesus, okay, for the way of following these double love commandments can have an impact on how we uh, view our role in faith and religion in our lives. Traditionally, we've measured people's religious lives in the categories of belief, belonging, and behavior. These categories focus on doctrinal commitments, creeds and stuff like that, uh, membership in religious communities, how do you become a member, you know, that kind of thing, and outward behavior that conforms to expectations of tradition. What if Jesus' explanation of the, of the greatest commandments to love God and neighbor were more than simple stratifications like priority levels, hierarchies, hierarchies of priorities, but a call to live beyond the boundaries of our religious communities, a call to, uh, to move, maybe even erase some of the lines. That's that picture of there. Jesus is up there erasing some of the boundary lines that we have drawn. Okay. What if instead, instead of focusing on uh, uh, belief, belonging, and behavior, what if we focused on concepts like being and becoming? Okay. This is a way of being spiritual and religious that honors the strands of identity, that, that structure that is in you, that each person's unique search for meaning, and our own individual process of transformation into the people God calls us to be. And this would remain inextricably connected, linked to the world we co-create with God, to the actions we commit ourselves to in the name of God. To love God with our heart, our soul, and our mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself is to follow Jesus who deliberately transgressed, tried to erase those religious categories, who ignored social conventions of who was in or out, and who fiercely loved those who needed it most. The new church, a church that can be fluid and accepting and, and, and authentic, is one who creates space for those to worship, for all to worship for, with all their hearts, hearts that speak in native Hawaiian or have deep ancestral connections to the land who also authentically live the way of Jesus with whether they call it that or not. This will be a church where we can worship with all of our minds, 
not an American church or a liberal church or a conservative church, but a table that keeps expanding for the heavenly feast of God love, God's love at which ideas are not the enemy, where questions are welcomed more than answers worshipped. This will be a church in which people can love God with all of their soul, a soul that can't be separated in this life from our physical well-being. This place at which God speaks to us and meets us is connected in a way beyond our understanding to the, the systems in our brains and our bodies. So all bodies must be included and affirmed in the church. Paul summed this up pretty well, I think, in Ephesians. And on the screen you see the NRSV version. But my wife this week found a, a message Bible. And I just looked it up. If you've never tried the message, just, just give it a try. Just, just, it's kind of fun. Uh, and it said this, and I'd just like to, to close with the few lines of the message translation of uh, Ephesians. Watch what God does, and then do it. And mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with God, learn a life of love, observe how Christ loves us, his love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Love with all of your being, all of yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love. Love like that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's sing together. Be thou our vision, my vision, our vision. Mm -hmm.